James, first of all from James 1 and then James chapter 4. James chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded, a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. And then we turn to chapter 4. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. So far, God's words, the 45 in the Heidelberg Catechism. Where we have a summary of what the church confesses concerning Prayer, we read the following, why is prayer necessary for Christians? Because prayer is the most important part of the thankfulness which God requires of us. Moreover, God will give his grace and the Holy Spirit only to those who constantly and with heartfelt longing ask him for these gifts and thank him for them. What belongs to a prayer which pleases God and is heard by him? First, we must from the heart call upon the one true God only, who has revealed himself in his word for all that he has commanded us to pray. Second, we must thoroughly know our need and misery so that we may humble ourselves before God. Third, we must rest on this firm foundation that although we do not deserve it, God will certainly hear our prayer for the sake of Christ our Lord, as he has promised us in his word. What has God commanded us to ask of him? All the things we need for body and soul, as included in the prayer which Christ our Lord himself taught us, and then follows the Lord's Prayer. (coughs) 
Brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, do you really believe in the power of prayer? It's not an uncommon question. If God has planned everything in your life, is there still any value in praying? If God already knows your thoughts before you speak them, obviously your prayer is not informing God of anything he doesn't already know. And the Lord is sovereign and he knows everything and he providentially guides everything in your life. So is there still a place for prayer? Sometimes the answer to that question is, well, you have to pray properly. You always have to pray, Lord, not my will be done, but your will alone. And that way your prayers are always answered. But if we say that with a kind of a defeatist attitude, is that still really a prayer? And we're told in James 1 that we should pray without doubting. Well, this afternoon we're going to explore the answers to these questions. So I've summarized the sermon with the following theme and points. The Lord gives us the gift of prayer. We'll see that this gift is evidence of his grace, that it teaches us to trust in him and is accompanied by his blessing. When we speak of God's sovereignty and his providential care for all things, we have to keep in mind that our sovereign God created human beings and not robots. He created us with an intellect and with a conscience. We don't have an instinct like animals do. We're not pre-programmed, but God created us with a mind and a will and an ability to communicate. And it was and remains our obligation to use our mind and our will to work with that. And part of that obligation is to love the Lord our God. So mankind was created with a conscience, with self-awareness, and also with the awareness of God. And so we must conscientiously seek a relationship with our Creator. It is the Lord himself who initiated that relationship with Adam by communicating with him. The Lord gave him and his wife a mandate, a task on earth. Genesis 1, verse 26 and following. The Lord gave them rules to follow. For example, you shall not eat of that one tree. He also walked with them and communicated with them in the Garden of Eden. Man was uniquely created by God so that he could walk with God, that he could communicate with God. That's how, that's how we were created. But of course, when sin entered the world, the communication between, between God and man was disrupted. It was broken. Adam and Eve did not take God seriously. They wanted to be like God. They, they no longer wanted to connect with him. In fact, when God came into the garden after the fall, they ran away from him. But then the miracle is, the great miracle is that, that the Lord took up communication with Adam and Eve again. It's as if he breathed new life into that relationship. He promised them redemption and a redeemer so that they would be able to walk with him again. And he made it possible for them to communicate with him. He reinitiated communication with Adam. And that's why, for example, that we are told in, in Genesis 5 that Enoch walked with God. God made that possible. 
That's why Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. That's why Abraham is called the friend of God. And that's why we can and may pray to the Lord, because the Lord promised redemption. In paradise, God walked with Adam and Eve, and in Jesus Christ, God himself dwelt among us. He lived with us. He talked with us. He walked with us. And one day, according to Revelation chapter 21, the Lord himself will come down from heaven and dwell with us on this earth forever. So you see, while man fell into sin and rebelled against God and and did not want to communicate with God after the fall into sin, God made sure that that relationship continued. It was resumed. He made sure that once again there was communication between himself and his children. Trustworthy communication. And the Creator was even willing to give up his one and only Son, Jesus Christ, to restore that broken communication. That's how far God was willing to go in order so that you and I can still pray to him. And when you really think about that, then we don't really have to ask the question anymore, do we still really have to pray? We may pray. You may walk with God. You may talk to your Father in heaven. You may communicate with the Almighty Creator. He has made that conversation possible again. You may come near to Him. The Lord says in Psalm 50, Call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. So we we may all make our way on that road that God has paved for us. That's how he shows us his grace and mercy. So, do we still really need to ask whether or not prayer is necessary? Of course not, right? The Christian prays. The believer is someone who takes advantage of that, that miracle of communication with God. We gladly make use of that miracle of communication that God created in paradise, which he reinstated after the fall, and for which he offered up his only son. So we are thankful and happy to pray to the Lord. We are thankful that we are allowed to pray to the Lord. And so then we also use our prayers to offer that thankfulness to God for opening up the way of communication. Our prayers become sacrifices of thanks. Again, Psalm 50, the one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me, says the Lord. And then prayer doesn't simply become a wish list of things that you send to God, a wish list that you send to God. On the contrary, thankfulness and praise is the most important part of our prayer. And that's because we realize, as we heard this morning too, that redemption that God has obtained for us in Christ, that's not just an ordinary gift. When you come to the realization that you've been redeemed When you realize how much sin and misery God has saved you from and forgiven, it becomes self-evident that we would turn to God in prayer. And yet, we are faced with the truth that many Christians often struggle with prayer. Sometimes we even neglect to pray, or we we don't know how to pray, or we, we barely want to do it. There's often that we we don't, we miss opportunities even to express our thankfulness. 
And that's why it's so wonderful, congregation, that the Lord commands us to pray. That's actually really a gracious command, isn't it? It's not an option. And so it's also good to have, have rules and habits for your prayer, prayer life. We should pray regularly and at regular times. Think of Daniel when he was living in exile in Babylon. He prayed three times a day on his knees. And in the Old Testament, the Lord instructed his people to replenish the incense on the altar of incense, both morning and night. Well, that incense represented the prayers of God's people. And God made that a fixed ordinance for the priests to follow. And that is a principle that we can apply to New Testament believers as well, that we would pray at regular times, but also in between those regular times. In 1 Thessalonians 7, verse 17, for example, we're told to pray without ceasing. But that doesn't mean that we have to be on our knees with hands folded 24-7, but that our life should be marked by prayer. That we are practice and feel free to pray in all circumstances and all kinds of situations in life. If you're standing by the kitchen sink or driving down the road, or at the end of an evening when you're bringing your girlfriend home for it from a date. In all situations, you may pray to the Lord. He himself chose that as a way for us to communicate with him. And he created us with a mind and a voice so that we can do that. So that we can walk with God in that way. The Lord also teaches us through the gift of prayer, to trust in him. In Psalm 139, verse 4, we read, Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. And our Lord Jesus says that God our Father knows what we need even before we ask it of him. Matthew 6, verse 8. Again, we can ask the question, do these texts then teach that prayer is actually not necessary after all? Does the fact that God is sovereign and all-knowing Defeat the purpose of prayer. Well, indeed not, congregation. It's actually the other way around. In fact, his sovereign and providential care over us gives us all the more reason to be confident in our prayers. If our prayers would be nothing more than a Christmas wish list, only then would God's sovereignty be an argument against the value of prayer. But that's not what praying is. Praying is speaking to God in an intimate and trusting way, the way a child speaks to a loving parent. And the fact that the Lord already knows everything, even before we begin to pray, gives us every reason to put our trust and confidence in Him. It is precisely because God is Almighty that we find refuge in Him. Imagine if God was not sovereign, if he was not all-powerful, if he was not all-knowing, would you have confidence in praying to such a God? Then your prayers would just be a shot in the dark, wouldn't they? Instead, we are allowed to pray to the Almighty God who is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we have, we pray to a God who not only listens but who is also capable and willing to hear our prayers. And then 
then it's a great comfort that we can lay our worries and our burdens before him as well. Because he already knows your sorrows and your pain. And when you're not able to express yourself properly or you leave something out of your prayers, you know that God knows it already, even better than you can explain it to him. Romans 8.26, we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And so then we can also take comfort in the fact that the Lord is never surprised by anything. He's not like a man who says, well, I'd never thought of that before. And nothing is too difficult for him. Psalm 68, we'll sing that after. He is our shield and tower. Our God, the Lord, is strong to save from mortal danger from the grave and every cruel oppression. And so we have every reason to give ourselves into the hands of an all-knowing, almighty God and Father like a dependent child does with a loving parent. We have every reason to pray, to pray to this almighty God. Psalm 34 God's eyes are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. Psalm 103, God is our heavenly father who shows compassion to his children. And that's why the psalmist of Psalm 116 says, I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. And so we pray because we know that our God is a God who hears and he loves to listen to the words of his children. And yet there's a word of of warning too, also in our catechism, in what we confess. What belongs to a prayer that pleases God? Well, we must pray in the right manner, in obedience. It's possible, as we read from James 4, that the Lord doesn't listen to our prayers. He writes there, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly. Well, what James describes here is not really prayer, it's a caricature of a distortion of what prayer is. James is writing to to a church where people were fighting and quarreling among themselves and they were full of jealousy and covetousness. And perhaps it was a congregation that that still looked to be full of Christians, but many of them were covering their sins under a mantle of prayer. And James calls this kind of action adultery. He says it's friendship with the world, serving mammon, serving money or wealth instead of serving God. But in the meantime, they were busy for their own honor and ambition. Well, congregation, what scripture teaches us here is that prayer is not something that we can use to compensate for sin. You can't make your life better by trying to polish it with prayer. Those kinds of prayers simply leave you with an empty feeling because God does not listen to that kind of communication. Prayers to God are not meant to satisfy our personal wishes. When we pray, we must pray in obedience and in conformity with God's word. And that must be obedience that then comes from the heart. It must be accompanied by a desire to truly live according to all of God's commandments. So when we become Christians, followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we not only give our lives to God, but also our manner of life, which is why James writes, the Lord yearns jealously over the spirit he has made to dwell in us. And notice that's the word spirit with a small s. 
That means the Lord is laying claim to our life, to our soul. He says, my child, give me your heart. And that's why we have to hate sin and live in obedience. And then in addition to this, we also confess in question answer 117 that in prayer we must call upon the one true God. That means we must pray in faith. James addresses this in chapter 1 of his letter. Let him ask in faith with no doubting. And that's not a criticism against people who are, who are depressed, but a warning against unbelief. That's a warning for people who think that prayer is just a shot in the dark. You know, it's a good idea to pray because you never know. It might help. But in the meantime, you don't really trust that God is listening. That's the kind of doubt that James is warning against, the doubt of unbelief. But over against this, Scripture tells us to stick to the Word of God. Like we confess in Lord's Day 45, we must call upon the one true God for all that He has commanded us to pray. That's the key to answered prayer. Clinging to God's promises. In all of our struggles and our weaknesses and in the wobbliness of our own faith, that we hold on to the word of God, that we hold on to the promises of the gospel, because that's trustworthy. So we could pray then with conviction. I must come to God. I must live close to him, because he's the only God. He is the true God. And in spite of my sins, I can still come to him, because of Christ and what Christ has done, I can be close to him in the name of Christ my Savior. And that doesn't mean that in your prayers you ignore the sin in your life or that you cover up or kind of whitewash your, your, your sins with prayer. But the only way to come close to God is to acknowledge that sin and to understand it and to admit it and to ask the Holy Spirit to help you to repent from it. But at the same time, we also know that sin is never a reason for us to live in despair. We do not have to despair of God's mercy because in your prayer you may appeal to God's mercy and appeal to his love and grace. Well, brothers and sisters, is that how you pray too? Not on the basis of your own righteousness, but on the basis of God's love and Christ's righteousness. And when you pray that way, in the full awareness of your own sin and sinfulness, and you appeal to the blood of Christ, then you may approach the throne of God boldly, as the author of Hebrews puts it in Hebrews 4.16. In the firm confidence that the Lord does not despise a broken and contrite heart, Psalm 51, and that he accepts you in love. Brothers and sisters, that's how we must pray, in obedience in faith, in thankfulness, and humility, fully trusting that God will give us all that he has promised us in his word and fully committing our life and our manner of life, our walk of life to him. And when we do that, we will also receive a blessing on our prayers. That's our last point. And what does that include? Well, certainly not that you get everything what you ask for. That's not what Scripture teaches. 
That's not why you pour your heart out to God either. But you pour out your heart to him so that he so that you can consciously and deliberately and trustingly walk with the Lord. And when that's our goal in prayer, the Lord will not, so to speak, let us stand out in the cold. He will come near to us. James writes, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And again, from Psalm 50, the Lord says, To the one who orders his way rightly, I will show the salvation of God. And that's why we confess in the Catechism that God does not withhold his grace and Holy Spirit from those who ask him for these things and thank him for them. And those aren't abstract gifts, congregation. Think of King Hezekiah who was sick and he knew he was about to die and he prayed to the Lord and the Lord granted, in his grace, granted him another 15 years of life. Or think of how the church in Jerusalem was praying for the Apostle Peter who had been imprisoned and under threat of death. The Lord in his grace answered their prayer. Peter was delivered. The Lord does answer prayer for deliverance and healing, sometimes in a most wonderful way. He answers our prayer for, for help, for help in our work, for when you have to write, write exams, when you struggle against sin. The Lord helps us in difficult situations. James writes, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. The Lord is the one who can make us wise, who who strengthens our faith, who gives us resolve to fight against sin. So we stand not in our own strength. The believer who prays stands in the strength of the Lord. But the one who does not pray can fall at a moment's notice. Think of the Apostle Peter in the Garden of Gethsemane. Instead of staying awake and praying, as Jesus asked him to, he fell asleep. And then what happened? Before the rooster crowed three times, he had denied his Savior. That's why prayer is necessary. And that's why prayer is never useless or ineffective. So, boys and girls, are you praying? Are you praying that God would help you to honor your parents? And parents, are we praying for our children? That we would have wisdom in raising them in the fear of the Lord? Do we pray for strength and wisdom? Are we a praying people? And if we are not, then we shouldn't be surprised when we fall. And yet we can ask yet, what happens if we don't get what we ask for? What if God chooses not to heal? What if God doesn't give you the job that you ask for? What if he does not give you children or a spouse? What then? Were those prayers a waste of time? Certainly not. God still hears our prayers. That doesn't mean he just takes it as information. Not at all. He truly reacts to our prayers. But then we also have to remember that he hears us in his own sovereign way and in his good time. And that's why it's such a blessing to know that prayer is not a wish list. It's not a list that you give to Santa Claus at Christmas time. But prayer is living with the Lord. Walking with the Lord, putting your hand in his, putting your life in his. That when he says, no, this is not what I'm going to give you. But knowing that he will help you walk through that 
even though he does not grant you your request. And that's why you can pour out your heart to God. Your thankfulness, as well as your disappointments. And you can do this because you know that your Heavenly Father is wise and you can trust Him. And you know that He loves you because He sent His Son to die for you. And nothing escapes His notice. And He never runs into situations that He cannot handle. He already knows how things will turn out before they even happen. And He never makes a mistake. He never says, well, you know, I wish I could have done that better. God is not a man. And so we can always have peace. Because God always has peace with his own decisions. Because he is perfectly wise and just and gracious and loving. And it's precisely that peace that God wants to share with his praying people. And the only way we obtain that is if we are praying people. And as we obediently and trustingly pray to God, then we share in the peace that surpasses all understanding. And so, brothers and sisters, we may and we must pray to share in that peace. And that's why we pray for wisdom, the wisdom that comes from faith and from the Holy Spirit, because that is how the Lord carries us through, carries us through our sorrows and temptations and struggles and pains on our own, We are not very wise, but God wants to make us wise. On our own, we are not strong, but in him we receive strength. On our own, we're not able to fight sin, but in the power of the Holy Spirit, we can do that. And that's why we pray for his grace and Holy Spirit. And that's also why sometimes the Lord doesn't give you what you ask for. He doesn't give us everything that we ask for. In fact, sometimes he even takes things away from us. But in reality, he gives you much more. He gives you his grace and Holy Spirit. And when you have that, you can be a content child of the Lord. Amen.